I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the latest episode of Radio Cherry Bomb. I'm Carrie Diamond. And I'm Claudia Wu. And we're the co-founders of Cherry Bomb, the magazine about women and food. Uh, we have a great episode today. We have Andy Mitchell with us here in the studio. We've been trying to book Andy on this show for two <laughs> seasons now. So we finally got her to uh, schlep out to uh, Heritage Radio Network. Um, before we get started with Andy, we want to thank our sponsor, American Express. Um, we had a really fun weekend. Was it last weekend, Claudia? Oh my God. Uh, Time no, flies. It was two weekends ago. Two weekends ago. Oh my gosh. We uh, did a, a trio of celebrations for Small Business Saturday with American Express in Brooklyn, Chicago, and San Francisco slash Oakland. And we had such a good time. Yes. And we met so many amazing people. We did a brunch at Elizabeth Restaurant in Chicago. If anybody out there who's listening is in Chicago or headed to Chicago, you really, really have to check out Elizabeth. I mean, Chef Elena Reagan is so brilliant. I I would easily put her on my list of the top five young chefs in America. Yes. And depending on your appetite, you can do the weekday <laughs> meal, which is seven courses, or the weekend one, which is 12. Claudia struggled through the 12 course. It was, I struggled a little bit, too, toward the end. It was, it was a lot of food, but um, she has so much imagination and such a wonderful staff and, and such an incredible space that it's completely worth the visit. You know, we talked about how people say um, there's, there are a lot of parallels between the restaurant industry and theater, and I really thought that this was the one restaurant that nails that. Yeah. And the theme right now is uh, fairy tales. So you can either get Mother Goose or Brothers Grimm during the week. And on the weekends, it's a combo. You get everything, I think. It's so cool. So go. Elizabeth in Chicago. Check it out. Uh, Then we did a party Saturday night for small business to celebrate the end of Small Business Saturday at Juhu Beach Club. And that's Chef Preeti Mistry's place. She's putting a modern spin on Indian street food. And we just, we love her to death. I yeah, mean, the food's super fun. The place is super fun. It's just casual and and spicy, but really interesting. You know, if you like Indian food, this this is definitely a different take on Indian food. You know, Preeti was a little frustrated that the Indian food she grew up loving and eating wasn't entirely represented in restaurants, and uh, she really just wanted to to do something that was different, but also pay tribute to what she grew up loving dare we say the f word in food <laughs> i don't think I, I i know what you're talking about i don't think hers is indian i think she would say it's 100 percent indian but it's just not the sort of white tablecloth like traditional indian that a lot of non-indian people know as indian food so um so if you're out in the bay area definitely go check out um juhu beach club that was a great place i couldn't even begin to list all the amazing people that we met at this party it was like a mini jubilee it was like one awesome chef after another 
entrepreneurs, all these fantastic women. And it was really just nice to catch up with everybody and hear about their businesses and introduce people and make new friends. And people like Lisa Fetterman, who was on the radio show, the founder of Namiku, who all of you know is like crazy and completely lovable. Yeah, she was going up to people and introducing herself as, I know you. (laughs) (laughs) And Andy, you'll like this. We introduced Lisa from NamiQ with Michelle from Nom Nom Paleo. So we were like, there needs to be some kind of Nom collaboration between you two. And our pal Amy Guitard was there from Guitar Chocolate and just on and on. Tanya Holland from Brown Sugar Kitchen. I mean, it really, uh, really was a special evening. So we have to thank American Express for not just putting that whole thing together, but also sponsoring the season of Radio Cherry Bomb. Well, following you all on Instagram was really fun to see all of the amazing dishes. I mean, that was nonstop eating. It was amazing. Yeah, it kind of blew up the Instagram feed. I'm surprised Claudia didn't take the batteries out of my iPhone. But um, but it was fun to... It <laughs> I was, was the Instagram <laughs> husband that day. I didn't know you weren't. No, you weren't. You didn't have to... You didn't take pictures of me. No, but I had to wait until Carrie got a shot before eating stuff. Oh, that's true. In that respect. Have, have either of you watched that video we posted? Yeah, yeah, Instagram so husband? Funny. That is funny. Yeah. I mean, if you... If, if all of you are on Instagram, which I assume you are... There's a really funny video going viral right now called Instagram Husband, and it's about those poor schleps who have to, the guys behind the girls who post all those pictures of themselves in like cute clothes running across the street and eating cute and doing lots of cute things and uh, totally worth your time. So, <laughs> I love it. I love it. so now we get to talk about Andy. So we we feel like Andy's an old friend, but yeah. we only met Andy for the first time at our Jubilee conference. Yeah, yeah, just this year. Mm-hmm. Oh, which was so fun. Oh and my gosh, the Jubilee is just the best. And I've made so many friends since then, which was amazing. Now, um, so yeah, it's been a. It's funny. It feels like longer than a year, but it has only been that. You introduced one of the panels that turned out to be, I think maybe the most impactful panel of the day. You really never know uh, what what talk or panel at our Jubilee conference is going to be the one that resonates the most with people, but I really think it was yours. I mean, your introduction was so meaningful, and then the panel was um, Michelle, who we mentioned, from Nam Nam yeah. Paleo. Danielle um, Walker from Against All Green. Mm-hmm, who's had a baby since. Right. Hi, Danielle, right. if you're listening. Um uh, Carolyn Walker, um, Randall, Caroline Wa- Randall Williams, 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 um, who yeah, contributed a story in our new issue, which is really, really moving. And she's fantastic and just had so many amazing yeah. things to say. Um, so anyway, so it was the, the theme of the talk was, um, the new food revolution. Right. And the panel was made up. The panel plus Andy was made up of, um, women who have really changed their lives through food. Right. And that's why we asked Andy to come here today because she truly has changed her life through food. Her her memoir is just, um, it was me all along. I remember when one of your the publicists from Random House got in touch yeah. with me and they were like, you really, really, really need to read this book. And it was from a publicist there who I know and love and trust and she knows yeah. my taste. And it was a very personal email from her and I was like, oh, gosh, I really have to read this book. And um, I got an early copy, and I couldn't put it down. It's, it's so honest. Thank you. And such Thank a great read. So and um, I think if any of you, well, all of you who are listening are interested in food, but I can't, I can't recommend picking it up highly enough. 
because um, you're very brave to share your story. That means a lot to me. That really means a lot. I mean, it, you know, food means so much to all, to so many of us. But, you know, to me, just the way it's transformed in my life. But it means so much still to this day. And I don't, I didn't stop loving food just because my relationship with it changed dramatically, you mm-hmm. know, so. So tell us a little bit about about you. Yeah. Why, so, why don't you tell us what you're doing today okay. and then maybe work yeah. backwards? Oh, I would love to. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I did come out with my memoir that Carrie is speaking about called It Was Me All Along. And I came out with that in January. And um, now, today, I am writing my second book, which is a cookbook. Um, and that's called Eating in the Middle, a mostly wholesome cookbook. That comes out in March. I am a writer. I'm a recipe developer. I am a weekly contributor to Yahoo Health. Um, I have a blog called andymitchell.com. So I do all of these things around food, but um, it's it's interesting to uh, to think about where I was. This kind of leads into the memoir, but it's interesting to think about where I was about you know ten years ago today that I was you know almost three hundred pounds and you know, a terrible emotional eater, a binge eater, uh, had spent my whole life very overweight, you know, the biggest person that I knew always, and um, kind of had always felt really held back by my weight, had always felt like I was so uncomfortable, so self-conscious that like I had not lived the life I wanted to live. So at 20, I'm 30 now, so at 20, I said, you know, this is this has to change. So I, I started eating healthy. I started cooking. I started kind of changing the way that I viewed food and, and that mindset shift is everything and exercising for the first time. And I lost 135 pounds. So, you know, five years after that, you know, that huge transformation of body and obviously mind too, I started writing a blog that has you know, a lot of the healthy recipes that I started making and and shared kind of my love of cooking, but also talked about weight loss in, in a whole, you know, in a new way, in a way that wasn't as cut and dry as a before and after, as like a, as clear as a happy ending that comes along with weight loss or that mm-hmm. thinness would bring me happiness because obviously it doesn't in, in some, you know, very linear trajectory trajectory as we think it will. So I wrote about weight loss and, um, it led me to the book that I have now. And that's, uh, that's been an amazing journey, um, to write that book and to share the memoir, uh, which essentially is my life through food. How do you get to morbid obesity? What leads you there? How do you lose the weight? Uh, what does your mind go through? Uh, what is it like feeling different? How do we tackle change and hopelessness and learning to find balance, which is, I think, something that regardless of weight, it's what we're all working on constantly. And um, so it's really universal. And I think that's probably why the book has resonated with a lot of people. So going back to, you said you lost 135 pounds. It wasn't that easy. No, no, gosh. So it was lots of ups and downs. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, so on the one hand, the 13, it took me about 13 months to lose 135 pounds, which sounds insane when I think about it now. But, you know, losing weight at that time, you know, I was so ready to change. I was so, and I always say like set on fire with motivation. I think when you're ready and you're committed, you can do it. You can set your mind to it because you see a finish line and I had never lost weight. So I didn't know that maintenance isn't a finish line. So I could kind of sprint there and I could, you know, 
put all of my hopes and dreams on this goal-ish weight that I didn't really know. I, I just a shot for like a 140-ish number. And I got there and, and realized, oh my gosh, like I am not sure that I'm, how I'm ever going to stay here. First of all, so I had this panic kind of set in of like, wait a minute, do I have to diet forever if I'm going to maintain this weight? So there was a fear and um, almost a claustrophobia. And then also a realization that I had pinned all of these hopes and dreams forever to thinness or that thinking that, you know, every problem that I'd had for 20 years, not every exact problem, but a lot of stress or the pain that I was experiencing was tied to my weight and that it would be alleviated when it's once I lost weight and it wasn't entirely. So I still had to deal with every everyday struggles, except I had no coping mechanism. I couldn't emotionally eat anymore. And I think taking the food away was kind of like taking away like a drug that I'd had for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so I had to figure out how to deal with emotions for the first time. I had to kind of figure out, you know, oh, okay, this is when the work begins. This is when the inner work begins. And that's so a lot of my book is kind of like untangling. Why did I eat? And how can I learn to find fullness outside of eating? A lot of your book is about your family. Yeah. And your mother went on a lot of this journey with you. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah. She, my mom was always very, you know, she's a, she's a nurturer. She's, you know, she gives love through food. I think it's a very common, maybe mom thing. Um, and she, my family was very chaotic growing up, very, I had an unstable family. My father was an alcoholic um, and he, you know, died very suddenly and tragically when I was 12. So he, I think my mom was always gone working or Mm -hmm. sacrificing for our family. So I think that when she was around, she says to me now, she's like, you know, you guys, my brother and I had it hard enough that I wasn't going to say no if you wanted a second cupcake. You know, like I wasn't going to, I didn't want to be the bad cop when I saw you so little. And I can really understand that. You know, I can understand how hard it was for her being gone so much. Um, And I think she never wanted to make me feel the otherness that I felt outside of our home either. Um, My dad was at sometimes 350 pounds, verging on 400 pounds. So and she loved him regardless of his weight. So I could kind of understand like she didn't see my size, which was also strange because one of the turning points I had to decide to lose weight was kind of seeing almost like a fear in her eyes. Um, When I'd gotten to my heaviest weight, I saw kind of her look at me like, oh, okay. You know, I had gone to college and I had been away for a few months and she looked at me and I could see her, you know, kind of say, oh, okay, like, you know, this is not just you being big, like, this is you being morbidly obese. And she never said anything, but I knew, like, her eyes had changed and and looked at me differently. And that was kind of, went from this woman who has unconditionally accepted me, but now is scared. But, you know, there are very many, like, attempts that I made starting in the eighth grade because you know, to lose weight going on diets because doctors had always told me to lose weight. And my mom was, you know, there trying to support me or suggesting that I go on these medically run weight loss studies at hospitals or, you know, and and they're crazy. You think back and you're like, gosh, that was never going to work out. Um, And you wonder if some of that diet mentality that's like, 
created then if that cycle is just so much worse for you. Um, yeah. Now, one of the nice things is because I've also seen your cookbook, yeah. which is really wonderful. My, I, I gave it to my sister already, and Thank she's you. making some of the recipes okay. from it. And absolutely loves it. She loved your memoir. Um, you didn't. You never. You never lost any of your joy. Which I, I think, think yeah. is a really important message that comes out of the book. And I think the cookbook is a great follow-up to it because it's, it's not a diet book. You know, it's not a, it's not a book filled with recipes right. of deprivation right. and boring food. Thank you. Well, thank you. I think that was, that was the goal because it's, you know, I didn't want to make it strictly low-calorie or strictly, you know, quote-unquote healthy because it's just... A, it's not a reflection of how I live. There is indulgent food as as much as there's salad and vegetables and things like that. So um, there's it's mostly wholesome. But um, and I think I think when you lose weight or you try to get healthy, there's like this. Or if you're overweight ever, there's like a stigma to saying that you love food. Um, like you hear people say like, oh, I love food a little too much. Or, you know, there's like a shame about it that I think I always carried with me. And I was like, you know, I lost weight. And the way I kind of learned to maintain was reconciling my love of food, was learning to make wholesome food, was learning to cook and kind of figure out like, oh, okay, well, I... I can still love food in a new way. I just have to find balance. So that was kind of the goal. And I think the reason I called it eating in the middle is because it's like for so many of us who have struggled with weight or body um, and food is, it's like we swing from restriction and, and like eating totally clean to binging and going off the rails. You're on the diet or you're off. And it's like, you have to find that middle ground if you're ever going to stay anywhere for longer than, you know, a week, two weeks, a month. It's so interesting that you bring that up, and, and it leads us back to the conversation we had before the show went live, and Lena Dunham, who yeah. is one of our cover girls, and we've actually had a lot of people say to us, why did you put Lena Dunham on the cover? Most of our readers are super Lena fans, so they're excited to see Lena and Jenny Connor on the cover, but, but some haven't been, you know, fine, people are entitled to their opinion, but when I read Lena's book, it, um, Not That Kind of Girl... Mm-hmm. I really was struck most by the food chapters because she struggled with food issues, you know, her whole sort of childhood and and young adult years. And um, I finished that book and I was like, oh, my God, food has been ruined for Lena Dunham because of doctors, because of society, because of all these different things. So when we had the opportunity to sit down and talk with her, that was one of the things I really wanted to talk about because I think she has that in common with so many women across America. You know, we're so impacted by food things that we have no control over and food is ruined for a lot of people because of the emotional eating or, or societal issues or maybe well-intentioned doctors or teachers or people at school. Um, also marketing, you know, we, we've seen, we've seen that movie, uh, fed up. Did you see oh, that? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Oh my gosh, yep. Those poor families across yeah. this country who are the victims of of corporate marketing right. and think because they eat, you know, low carbs, low fat right. that they're eating really healthy food yeah. and they're not. They're eating crap. Right. That's filled with sugar that's just keeping them in this spiral. Yeah. Um so it was really nice to have the opportunity to sit down with Lena and say so so how are things today? And she credits Jenny with getting her a better sort of approach to food, you know, and, and not looking at food as an enemy and a thing that you have to obsess over. So, um, 
So for those of you wondering, you know, right. what that story is all about, you can read about that. No, in the and it's new true. Issue. Well, number one, I want to applaud you for the. Le- I thought I, I saw some of like there are just a few really criticisms of Lena co- cover, and I, I thought. Why would we ever not allow more people to celebrate food? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I feel like I would be upset if there was just a magazine limited to just, like, foodies, let's say. I, I felt like I I would classify myself as that person, but I love the fact that you're opening the scope to people, all people. Anyway, so that's how I feel about it. But um, aside from that, it's like you realize kind of at a certain point that like acceptance of all things is the only way you're going to get free about food, free about your body. Like if you stop criticizing yourself, you're going to get a whole lot kinder to yourself. You're probably going to end up losing weight that way. If you stop hating food, if you like food more, you know, like if you, if you appreciate the food and you love the food that you're eating, you might end up eating less of it because you're more mindful of what you're eating. You pay attention, you enjoy it more. It feels more special. Like it's a strange kind of sensation we have about like if we shame ourselves and if we hate food then we'll that will make us thin and it doesn't work that way so it's you know to your point i think the way out is acceptance so yeah i think that lena brings up a good point but yeah and so the holidays are coming up and everyone (laughs) loves to indulge over the holidays do you have any kind of tips about surviving that period Um, of time well you you talked about coping mechanisms uh, (laughs) um i think that Go into the holidays. Like, I just don't like to go into the holidays with kind of this rigid sense of, like, we're not going to gain any weight, you guys. I think just recognize, like, you know, balance is not, like, an every day we reach out, like, a complete, like, we're all, like, this, you know, everything levels out. You know, balance could be, like, during the holidays, maybe you gain three pounds, and then in January to March, you drop those pounds. You know, like, I think that you know that you're going to eat some Christmas cookies. You know that you're going to eat more with your family. So I think you can accept that. And I, I kind of feel like that's a natural part. But know that, I think I kind of go into it, like, know that not every day can be the party. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I kind of take it as. Like, so... I know that I'm going to like Christmas parties this weekend. So like today I'll probably try to eat more wholesomely, you know, that kind of way and then enjoy it when I'm there. And then the other times when it's not special, like does anyone really care about lunch? You know, like make it healthy. You know, that's kind of how I, I don't know. That's my sense. I just feel like, but also just don't be so hard on yourself. Cause when you go in with this idea that you're going to, stay the same or only gain a a pound I don't it sets you up for failure and I say that as someone who has done that for like 30 years so I feel like I have a degree in that business but yeah I think I I mean it's like life huh don't be less accepting of yourself and others don't be so judgy yeah love yourself right yeah (laughs) all of those good things right I just try and think of how I'll feel the next day like do I really need this extra glass of wine um, maybe not. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I mean, you, you're going to know, you know, the, the places and the parties and the, the times that are worthwhile, you know, like, and when you're at home and you're watching TV, like not as worthwhile, you know what I mean? Like we can't fool ourselves that much in that, in those kinds of instances. So I think that like be reasonable, but, um, you know, to a point. Wasn't that one of the great things that Caroline Randall Williams said at Jubilee? Don't mix up party food or holiday food with everyday food yeah because we have this mentality in this country where everything has to be three courses with a dessert and you know that's not how we were meant to eat yeah i think um 
I love this quote, and it's funny. It's it's I, Bethany Frankel said it, but in her book I read years ago, um, I think it's naturally thin. She says you can have everything, you just can't have everything right now. <laughs> and I think that that's just true. I mean, it's just a way to approach it. Like it's just kind of like if life is a buffet, like you do have to choose, you know, like not every meal can be like a little of this and a dessert afterwards, you know, you just have to make your choices. Um, and that's kind of a nice way to go about it. Yeah. And my favorite thing about the holidays is the leftovers. So don't right. eat it that night. You right. Eat it next day. Right. We're right. super big on leftovers. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Leftovers are great. I love to bring leftovers for lunch at work. Um, Andy, we'd also asked you to, to read from your book. I would love so to. So before we run out of time, yes. why don't we have you read a little bit? Yes. Do you need to, should we talk while you reach for the book? (laughs) I will read, um, I'm going to read like two pages from the introduction because I think it kind of gives you a taste of the, just uh, the beginning of the book. So here we go. If you are not able to attend my 20th birthday party, you missed a fabulous cake. And if by chance you are able to attend my 20th birthday party, you too missed a fabulous cake. In fact, everyone did, save for me. I can remember carving the first slice, taking the first forkful, the rush of whipped sugar speeding through my bloodstream. It felt like teetering on the ledge on the roof of a skyscraper, exhilarating and terrifying. The split-second decision between balance and oblivion. What I cannot remember, however, is the exact moment I made the decision to eat the whole thing. Scraping the sides of the mixing bowl, I began to notice just how satiny the fudge batter was. I made swirls and figure eights with my spatula. In transferring heaping spoonfuls of espresso-hued chocolate cream to the cake tins, I reveled in the lightness of the texture, the airiness of what I was working with. A scoop in the pan, a scoop in the mouth. I then watched through the oven door as the cakes materialized, rising to fill their nine-inch pans. Ten minutes into the baking, the air in my apartment was so saturated with the aroma of chocolate that I lost the ability to focus on anything but that cake. Though I had already eaten lunch and cake batter, a new hunger appeared, unexpected and urgent, the kind that forced me to stop whatever I was doing and tend to it. It was the kind I couldn't ignore, the one that wrestled away every power, every hidden weapon of will, and thrust me into the kitchen, where it always seemed I'd run out of milk and self-control. Guilt has a way of resisting digestion. There's nothing natural about its aggressive spread. It stretches out inside me, doubles its size by uncurling its chubby legs and arms. It kicks and groans every slip of the way down. It reminds me, shames me, at every twist, every turn. And when it plops down at last upon the base of my stomach, it stays for days unwelcome. Wow, thanks. That reminds me of my family. In my family, we always say you have a different stomach for dessert. Yeah, (laughs) I feel like I can always fit dessert. That's my thing. I'm like a sweet person. Whenever I hear like people are interested in like chips or something like that, I'm like, that's just not, that's not my food. (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to finish this session off with a speed round. Great. Easy. They're easy. Don't worry. Great. Um, Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. What kind? How do you do it? I take it black. Black? Yeah. What's in your fridge right now? Oh my God. Everything. I always like full fridge, full heart. I really, I keep a full stock fridge. Um, there's like everything from like chicken to beef to every vegetable you can imagine. Milk, excessive condiments, hummus, <laughs> all, like hummus. Yeah. Full fridge, some, full heart might full be our new tagline. <laughs> no, it's like, it's, it's really, I mean, it's like, it's my mom's like Irish Catholic, like scarcity momentum that she passed <laughs> down to me. But yeah. Is there anything you will not eat? I really don't like, um, like herring mackerel 
Like, I just don't like something that, like, I love fish, but something that's, like, too fishy, like, it's, I don't know. Uh, what foods are you craving these days? Um, like spice cakes with cream cheese frosting, things like that. You're such a sweet person. (laughs) I am. No, it's like, it's too much. It's too much. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, What's your favorite kitchen tool? Um, garlic press. I just think it saves me so much. Little, like that little effort is just everything. What's your favorite alcoholic beverage? Mm. Right now, I really like Negronis. Yeah. Do you have any go-to restaurants? I really like Mapesh. Momofuku. Do you live like right near there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I live right there that by there. <laughs> like I would just name something. Yeah. <laughs> um, where do you want to travel to next? Um, hmm. I really want to go to like Turks and Caicos. I'd love to go to like tropical places where there's nothing to see but the beach, you know, just you can relax and... Or Austin. I'd love to go to Austin, too. So. Sounds good it sounds to like, It sounds like really <laughs> same place. Same kind of place. Yeah. Hot. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you there. Yeah. Come visit. Um, Andy, thank you so much for your time. When does the cookbook come out? The cookbook comes out March 29th. Oh, And cool. the memoir, um, the paperback is available on uh, December 29th. So okay. it's available for pre-order now. I, my, I love the book so much. You know that. But really, one of my favorite things about that book is the title. Oh, thank you. It's such you. a profound thank title. So thank you so Did much. Did you come up with that? Was it in collaboration? Yeah, I mean, um, it's actually based on a, a kind of what led me to get a publisher's eye in the first place. Uh, um, just It was me all along. It's just based on the idea that like we have all these perceived ideas that we have flaws and hindrances when, we, when we're growing up. And at a certain point, you kind of say, like, wait a minute, those things serve me. Like, those things make me who I am. They make me brave and smart and wise and maybe funny and empathetic. Um, and so I think the book is just about realizing that, like, who I am and who I was, like, I have to reconcile those two and rec- know that they're great. So the book is It Was Me All Along by Andy Mitchell. Andy, thank you so much. Have a wonderful holiday. We're going to take a quick station break, and we'll be right back with Yana from the Salo Project. Tomorrow, everyone in the world would have enough food to eat that was culturally appropriate and delicious. The planet would be thriving because all the food would have been grown and produced in a way that sustains us, both our bodies and our our world. But man, I do not have a magic wand. What I do have is you and this radio station, the Heritage Radio Network. That's what we're here to do. We're here to help lead the way to a future that's more delicious, that's more fun, where we're healthier, where the plan is healthier, and we want you to be a part of that. We can't do it without you. As a nonprofit radio station, we depend on the support of our listeners. So take a minute out of your day, visit the website, and click the Big Beating Donate tab. Throw us a few bucks. Every bit helps. We're counting on you.
Hi, everybody. We're back with uh, the second half of Radio Cherry Bomb. I'm Carrie. And I'm Claudia. And we are here with a new friend of ours, Yana Gilbuena of the Sallow Project. Um, she's here with her friend, Victoria, who's hanging out in the back. Um, Yana, I'm so happy to like finally get you on the radio show. I'm so happy it was all worked out. I'm, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. So, Yana, there's so much to talk about with Yana. Um, you are not a trained chef, correct? Y- no, I'm not. <laughs> but Yana is of uh, Filipino descent. I'm going to let you tell this whole story. So, so you basically tweeted at us, and yes. that's how we got to know you. It's amazing this year how many people tweeted at us and are now our friends. <laughs> so the power of social media, people. Um, so, Yana, tell us your story. Um, so I was born and raised in the Philippines, um, and I moved to L.A. when I was 20. Stayed there for seven years, and I moved to New York about like three years ago. And I've been a wandering chef or a nomadic chef for two years now. And you decided that not enough people knew about Filipino food, so that you were going to do a Filipino pop up dinner in each state across America. Yes, it was a little crazy. (laughs) Um, At that time, I was just starting to do my pop up dinners, and Victoria was one at the first one ever it was in a loft in at McKibben lofts in here in Bushwick and I got that um through a trade through our goods and we were just like oh I'll help you make your table if you let me use your loft for my pop-up dinner <laughs> um and yeah and then it just started from there and I really enjoyed doing doing pop-ups and it just so happened that um I was playing the bi-coastal one like LA New York and I got laid off from my real job, so... What was your real job? <laughs> um, I was doing PR and marketing for a furniture company. <laughs> <laughs> very, very boring. <laughs> um, and then I was like... And one of my friends um, basically was like, Oh, well, there's 50, 50 states and there's 52 weeks. Go figure it out. I was like, okay. <laughs> That's very, very daunting, though. How did you pull it off? Um, I was pretty much flying by the seat of my pants. <laughs> I mean, do you know people in all 50 states now? Um, I do now. <laughs> Before, no. It was a lot of, like, um, reaching out on Facebook and Twitter and, like, basically friends of friends and be like, hey, who knows people and... Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> you know, master spreadsheet. Do you remember that with all the fifty states, and we tried to think of friends in each state and who we could reach out to. Oh, the yeah. early, early the days early of days. the Salo project. It's <laughs> amazing. I mean, I mean, when you tweeted at me, and I, I was like, "Who's this girl tweeting at me?" And I like dug a little <laughs> deeper, and I was like, "Wait, she's she's doing pop ups in every single state." I was like, "You're gonna, uh, you know, it's tough enough." And this is what we need to talk about. It's it's. Filipino food's not even super popular in New York. Yeah. So when you're going go to go to some smaller states that have that maybe aren't as adventurous culinarily. Yeah. You know, tell us about some of those states. Like, did, did you tell me there was like there were, were a few states where you had like just a handful of people who came out or? Oh yeah, um, I can tell you which ones. <laughs> oh, like sorry, North Dakota again. <laughs> we need to introduce you to Molly Yay. Do you know who Molly Yeh is? No. You needed a little Molly Yeh in your life. Uh, she's She is uh, a fantastic blogger. She blogs under My Name is Yeh, and she's based out in North Dakota. So next time, next we'll, time. we'll hook you guys up. Yeah. Okay. Was it difficult to get ingredients? Did you 
bring your own stuff or you bought stuff in each state? Um, so basically what my concept was, I wanted to travel very light. So I actually gave up my apartment here in Brooklyn and got rid of all of my stuff and fitted everything that I wanted to bring with me in one suitcase and a backpack. Um, so I was traveling with my knives and um, all of that good stuff. <laughs> um, and I would source everything locally when I get there. So there's a lot of research that I need to do in terms of like where to go for the farmer's market. What day is the farmer's market? Is there an Asian market here? If so, what kind of Asian? You know, because there's a lot. So um, where can I source banana leaves and all that stuff? Because my dinners are set primarily on banana leaves and everyone eats with their hands. So that's like one of the main major things that I need to find. <laughs> Tell us some of the key ingredients you were searching out in each place. Um, so soy sauce is definitely one of them. Fish sauce is another one. Shrimp paste, which we call bagoong. Um, and the other ones are easier to find, like vinegar. I can always substitute cane or coconut vinegar with like distilled white. That's totally fine too. Sugar, sugar is a must. Um, and uh, some spices um, are a little bit easier, like lemongrass, um, ginger, garlic, and you know scallions and stuff. So yeah, don't forget about those banana leaves. Oh yeah, those banana leaves though. <laughs> Were they hard to find? They were um, a little hard to find. Um, and my first pop-up dinner is actually in Key West in Florida. And you would think, you know, there's banana leaves everywhere, but no one has it in the markets. So picture this, me and another girl, me with my cleaver, and this other girl with a knife. And we were just walking through the streets of Key West trying to look for a banana tree and hack it down so we have banana leaves. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. What sets Filipino food apart from other Asian foods? I think it's the influence of um, the other people that have traded with us or have colonized us. So we have a lot of influence of Chinese, Malaysian, Indian, Arabic, um, a lot of Spanish, and obviously now more American. Because of that, we are pretty much like the original fusion, I would say, and our cuisine reflects our history. Did you learn how to cook when you were younger from your family or you just self-taught? Um, well, <laughs> the funny part is um, I used to be sent to the kitchen as a punishment when I was a kid. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's the um, first we've heard that. Because <laughs> it's like... Usually you're sent to your room. Yes. Um, well, I was... I was an only child, and um, I have a lot of energy. I was, like, super, like, ADD when I was a kid. So they needed to channel my energy somewhere else. So my grandma would send me over to the kitchen. And I would be there helping our cooks or my aunt and just, like, chopping up. I mean, it was not safe to probably trust a five-year-old with, like, a knife. But <laughs> I learned. <laughs> it worked out. So tell us some of the dishes. What what were so, Did you have a set thing you did? I'm guessing each meal wasn't the same. Yes. Um, so each time I tried to do one dish from each region of the Philippines based out of the ingredients that I had to work with. And sometimes I would have some repeat dishes um, just because of like limited ingredients or whatever was in season. Um, I would normally make sisig, which I love, <laughs> which is a dish that's made out of like whole pig's head that's been boiled, broiled, and then sautéed with like 
soy sauce, Philippine lime, Thai chilies, chicken liver, and then topped with egg and mayo. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us some of the other dishes. Um, So there's also ginataan, which is anything that's based out of coconut milk. Um, Like the soup last night that you had, um, it was like the sweet one. And then there's um, the savory one that we use shrimp paste with. And there's always adobo. You can't go wrong with adobo. And lumpia, which is the egg rolls. But at my dinners, I try to deviate or veer away from like what Filipino food is normally known for. Because I feel like there's a lot of our cuisine that is not being represented out there. And I wanted to showcase like the spectrum or the breadth of our cuisine. So you mentioned last night, I was lucky enough to go to Yana's back in Brooklyn, and she did a pop-up dinner last night with the guys from... Lumpia Shack. Mm -hmm. And it was really fun. It was a communal dinner, two really long tables, and the first thing they announce is you have to sit next to someone you don't know. So we made lots of friends last night. Yay. Hi, Michael. Your friend Michael. Hey, Michael. Shout out to you. You better be listening. He might be. (laughs) Um, And then lots of great people. You have so many friends. I mean, everyone who was sitting there were like, oh, everyone's like, how did you wind up here? I'm like, I'm friends with Yana. I'm friends with Yana. You know, (laughs) it was it was pretty great. But yeah, so two long communal tables set with oiled banana leaves, right? So they were kind of shiny. That's my job, the oiling of the banana leaves. You did a great, (laughs) Victoria, you you did a great job at that. Um, And then there was a mound of uh, insane coconut rice. Tell us about that dish, because that was great. So um, I made um, coconut pandan um, garlic rice. So pandan is like screw pine leaves, and it imparts this like greenish color. So the rice last night was not only aromatic with coconut but it was also with pandan, and it was green. <laughs> How hard is that to make at home? No, not hard at all. Um, so basically you would cook rice the same way, except you substitute water for the coconut milk, and then you just add the pandan leaves on top of it, and while it's cooking, it would impart that greenish coloring. Yeah, it was It was the scent, the taste, the, the visually it was great, and we ate everything with our hands. Yes, yeah. And then there were these fritters. What were the fritters? Um, so the fritters are called ukoi. Um, so it's typically made with its shrimp. Um, and it's shredded um, either bean sprouts or uh, yam or sweet potato or carrots, if you like. And then it's just um, in a batter, a cornstarch batter. Um, and then it's deep fried. And then you mentioned that dessert. So tell us about the dessert because it's based on... It was sort of like a modern interpretation of a traditional Filipino dessert. So, um, like we have this in in the provinces in the Philippines, um, it's called ginataang halo-halo, or in other um, places, it's called ginataang sorry bilubilo or binignit. Um, but it's typically the same. It has like jackfruit, um, rice balls, tapioca, nata de coco, um, makapuno, kaong. Um, and uh, some saba, and then it's cooked in a sweet um, coconut milk. Um, and I just didn't add sugar because it was already sweet with all these um, fruits. And the only thing that was not so traditional last night was we served it with turon, which is um, pretty much like a fruit lumpia, like a fruit egg roll that's just deep fried. And so it just was for more texture. Yeah. It was fun. It was purple soup. Yes. <laughs> with little pink balls in it. It was really great. I love, uh, I'm always scared about um, buying jackfruit because they're huge. 
Yeah. I mean, it's it's a little daunting. That and Durian. Oh, Durian? Yeah. <laughs> Durian, I'm scared of for other reasons. Yeah. Um, so we heard you're going to Cuba soon. Yes. Um, well, I'm going to Central and South America first and going to end that um, in Cuba in June. So I've partnered up with um, Cultural Contrast. So what they do is they, they organize culinary tours and they bring people in. So they contacted me to do one with them. And I thought that was one of the best ways to go see Cuba and also oh, very cool. be like a nice culinary ambassador and yeah. work with the local chefs there, find the farmers and all that good stuff. That's so cool. So people can buy a ticket and go on the trip with you? Yes. So, so it's like a tour, like a guided tour. Guided with tour. Your, and your, and, your and I'm going to be the one guiding them. <laughs> How do you book that? Um, it's through culturalcontrast.org. And I believe it's like 20, 20 slots. And uh, if you're a couple, um, it's like 3500 each. And if you're a single, it's 3800 but they process everything from the visas to the round trip tickets to the hotels and the food and the drinks. So, wow, yeah. sounds like Very a great cool. trip. We're going to start saving. Yay, <laughs> please, trip. maybe we can please go. Come with me. <laughs> um, so, so you you did all fifty states. You, yes, you crossed that off your bucket list. So now you're South you're America tackling the world, the rest <laughs> of the world. I think so because um, <laughs> I had no plans of doing so. I, I think when I embarked in the 50 state tour was just like okay we'll see how it goes and then I went back home to the Philippines and I had some time to just think about it and I was like I don't think I can go back to having a normal 9 to 5 at all <laughs> I don't even know what that means anymore <laughs> so um, when I got back I did Canada and then I got back here and I was like well what's the next plan either I go to Europe but I was like well it's going to be cold so I'm going to go to South America. <laughs> You're a smart girl. Thank you. Um, we do have some international listeners. So if any of you out there are listening and you want to hook up with Yana and invite her to your country. That would be great. Tweet at her. <laughs> or you're on Instagram, too. Yeah, Instagram and Twitter. Um, Facebook, which is yeah. Solo series all across the board. <laughs> awesome. I'm going to introduce you in, uh, with the Sailing Collective who go on these sailing trips and they always need chef on board. So <gasps> That I'll, would be great. I'll hook you guys up. Um, but we're going to finish this off with a speed round. Okay. Um, I like speed rounds. Traditional. Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. What, how do you take it? Black with honey. Ooh. With honey? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Right. What's in your fridge right now? I don't own a fridge. Oh, right. I forgot. <laughs> I totally forgot. <laughs> uh, what's your... What, is there anything you won't eat? Olives. Oily. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, olive lovers. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite kitchen tool? I do. Um, and shout out to uh, Nomiku. Oh, cool. Really? Yeah. Oh, Lisa's going to be psyched. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite alcoholic beverage? It is an old-fashioned. I love whiskey. Do you have a favorite food? I know this is a tough one. Well, okay. I love ramen. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, covers ramen. a lot of bases. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I know you've gone to every state by now, but do you have any go-to restaurants? Ooh, um, let's see. If I'm in New York, I definitely have to go to this ramen place in by Washington Square Park. 
I don't know the name. I just know how to get there. <laughs> That's how bad it is. Um, but they have this amazing sushi um, thing to us along with their ramen. I will find that out and tell you about it. Okay, awesome. What foods are you craving lately besides ramen um, and pizza? And pizza. <laughs> um, I recently got into a pho kick. So I've been eating a lot of pho too, especially now that I found out that I'm a glutard. So what's a glutard? I don't I've never heard term. that term. So I can't have gluten. So I'm a glutard. Oh, that's sad. How did yeah. you find that out? Um, process of elimination. Because I, when I was traveling, I was like, why do I feel so bad? And I was like, what's going on? And then my doctor was like, well, maybe you should, you know, try taking things out of your diet and see what works and what doesn't. And uh, Glutard was the glut, gluten was the that's was sad. The cult, was well, the culprit. A lot of Asians don't even have. I mean, Asian cuisine doesn't really have gluten. Yeah. So yeah. which is great. Which is great. Yeah. <laughs> um. I. The last question is where Where do you want to travel to next? But I think you've already <laughs> answered that for us. <laughs> yes. Is there anywhere you want to go in the world to cook or just to visit? I think I definitely want to go to Antarctica before it all melts. Huh. That's a good one. <laughs> but actually, you know, it would be interesting to host a dinner there. You know, there is I mean? an Antarctica cookbook actually based on an exp- expedition that went there, and they hmm. talked about what foods they made. Ooh, yeah, that would You'll be have so to get awesome. That book. Um, before we lose you, uh, where do you get good Filipino food in New York? Um, there's um, a couple of places that I would definitely recommend. So Jeepney and Maharlika are like good gateway, you know, Filipino food that's very accessible. Would you lose? Drop. <laughs> <laughs> Phone drop. Um, but I would actually recommend going to Queens as well um, and just exploring like the, like we, we call them like the turuturo because you point. Turo means point. So turuturo is point, point. You point at something that you would want to eat. And uh, there's a couple of them just like clustered on 69, 69th Street and Woodside. So you can just go explore. And it's typically like this grandma or aunt, auntie like cooking up Filipino food there. And it's great. You know, it feels like home. Cool. <laughs> food tours in order. Food. Yeah. Um, so, Yana, we just want to thank you for being on the show. You really are an inspiration. I mean, there are so many people who who just want to change their lives and who are bored with their jobs and don't want desk jobs either. And you just did it. You didn't have any money. You didn't do a Kickstarter <laughs> campaign. <laughs> Actually, I tried to do an Indiegogo one and that was such a fail. <laughs> so you just did it. Yeah. Yeah. So bravo. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank thanks, you. Thanks for being an inspiration to all of us. And we hope you'll come back uh, on the show and talk to us in a few months about I'll be back in six everything months. else. Come after Cuba. <laughs> Yes. Why don't we let's we'll set it up right now. She's going to be back on the show after Cuba. And <laughs> after tell Cuba, us, let's go and tell us all about that. So, um, so uh, one last shout out to American Express. Thank you for sponsoring this season of Radio Cherry Bomb. Um, thank you for helping us support Small Business Saturday the other week. Don't forget to shop small and dine small. And that's it for um, this episode of Radio Cherry Bomb. Bye, everyone. This is Emily Acosta, producer of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. Radio Cherry Bomb is a joint production of Cherry Bomb Magazine and the Heritage Radio Network. To subscribe or learn more about the magazine, visit cherrybomb.com. 
You know who I think is the bomb? Ann Saxelby is the bomb. She founded Cutting the Curd, and she owns Saxelby Cheesemongers, which supports artisan cheesemakers in America. 